what's up? My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in to the GT Young Adults Podcast. We're a community, a part of GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus and have a passion to learn and live like him and have a ton of fun doing it. All of the messages and conversations you find here will point you to his truth and his hope, so lean into whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks for listening. So glad to have you here. My name's Adam. I'm the West Shore campus pastor here and at the church. Woo! So if you live in the West Shore, come say hi sometime. But uh, one of the other things I get to do is multiplication. So I get to oversee all of our other campuses, all the campuses that we have here and all future campuses. And so maybe, just maybe, the Lord is stirring something in your heart. And maybe our future campus pastors are in this room. And so if that's you, come, come, come talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about the whole mission bug that you might be feeling. But... So excited for this, this evening. This has been a great series, this Christian Walk series that we've been walking through. And one of the things that we do as a church is when we go through a series, we do it at all campuses. And so what we've been preaching downtown uh, in the morning has been the same thing that we're doing in the West Shore, the same thing that happens at night, and the same thing that happens in the evening now with you. And so I'm so excited to walk through the very last piece of this particular book because at this point in the series... What Paul's doing is he's taking his letter to a close, and he's ending on a high note, and he's trying to get everybody's attention. He's trying to let people know that, hey, Christians, hey, people, hey, those of you who are reading this letter that I'm writing, pay attention to this, because if you can apply this little piece to your life, your Christianity is going to come alive. Your faith is going to come alive. You will be able to contextualize your faith. You won't just feel Christian in this room when you're surrounded by Christians, but like the, the real fruit of your ministry, well, well, the fruit of your relationship with God, the fruit of your Christianity will actually come alive when things start to super, super suck. And so let me read it for you, and then I'm going to unpack it for you. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take out the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows from the evil one. And finally, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you're real, that when we pray, you hear us. And I thank you for your word that provides us a window into your heart for humanity. God, I pray that we'd be able to leave here different than the way that we came. So speak to us through your word tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here, here we got Paul. Right, and he's wrapping up his letter. And essentially he's saying, he's like, listen folks, let me remind you that this world can be an evil place. This world that you live in, it can get pretty dark sometimes. 
So Ephesians 6.10, he, he, he starts off by saying, as I close, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Essentially, he's saying, dear Christian, before we jump into the, 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 the finale of this particular letter of mine, let me remind you of this. You are not alone. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes. Everywhere. So be strong, man of God. Walk in strength, Christian woman. Because you have the resurrected God living inside of you. And his strength and his power are with you everywhere that you go. Christianity is not just a worldview. It's not just a, a, a political point of view. It's not just a set of rules of do's and don'ts. It's not just some sort, of, some sort of philosophy. But it's a relationship with God. And when you're a Christian, and when you have Jesus in your heart, you have access to that same resurrection power that Jesus, that rose Jesus from the grave. It's as if when he's finishing up this letter, as he pens those last words, he says, listen up. You want to know the secret to thriving as a Christian? You want to know the secret um, to shining in a dark world like we talked about a few weeks ago? You want to know the secret to walking in wisdom, as it says and speaks at the end of Ephesians there? You want to know the secret to overcoming every situation you might face? The secret to literally everything I've been talking about in this letter I wrote to you? The secret is within you. And the secret is learning to rely on the strength and the mighty power of God. Simply said, he's like, listen, you are not a wuss. You're not a wuss. You got the spirit of God inside of you. So cheer up, stand up, get ready, because what I'm about to say to you is going to help you contextualize your faith in and out of season. So where is he going with this? Why is he telling us to be strong? Because the world can be an evil place, friends. The world can be a dark place. And what he wants to do as he concludes his letter, he wants you to know that your Christianity doesn't just apply in here. Your Christianity has and does apply, has to and does apply in the real world. So this is how he tells you to do it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. That's what he says. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, now the King James Version, we don't really read that all that much anymore. But the King James Version translates the word schemes with the word wiles. And it sounds like this. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, wiles is actually a really great word here. Because what wiles means, it means devious or, 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 or cunning stratagems. Cunning, devious plot lines, devious, cunning tactics. It's actually where we get the name Wiley Coyote. Right? So if you can picture Wiley Coyote trying to chase after the roadrunner, Wiley Coyote does everything he can to catch that roadrunner. Everything he can. He's feeding that roadrunner dynamite. He's pushing that roadrunner off a cliff. He's giving that roadrunner mousetraps under his pillow. Everything he can. Wiley Coyote, he's, he's horrible. 
And so is the devil. And this is, this is the line that is painting here, this wiles. The Bible describes the nature of the enemy like this. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief, which is the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You want to know what the devil's schemes are? It's that simple. Steal, kill, destroy. But I, the Bible says, Jesus, Jesus has come so that you may have life and have it to the full. See, as Christians, you're meant to have life and have it to the full. That's the God you serve. So what are the devil's schemes? Kill, steal, destroy. William Gurnall uh, an Anglican clergyman from about the 1600s. He, what he did is he, he divided the devil's schemes into two main categories. He said, basically, this is how the devil functions. On the one hand, you have temptation. And he tries to tempt you into doing things that you know you shouldn't. And on the other hand, he has accusation. And what he does with that, he tries to push you into a place of despair. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul writes. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, what he's trying to communicate here is, friends, listen, people aren't the enemy. People aren't the enemy, and oftentimes that's what we default to. That guy, he's just a jerk. That guy's horrible. That guy's brutal. That woman, I can't believe she would do that. Oh, my word. And what it's saying here is it's saying people aren't the enemy. There's a deeper underlying force at work in the world. And that force is evil. And if this is true, what Paul's doing is trying to get our attention. If this is true, what he's saying is like, listen, if there's evil out there, you need to know that your Christian faith makes a difference. If there's evil out there, you need to know what happens in here is actually meant to build you up for what goes on out there. Therefore, verse, 16, or verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God, he says. There's an evil world out there. So you need to put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. In other words, what he's communicating is saying, listen, passive Christianity isn't going to cut it. It is not beneficial for you to be kind of, sort of, slightly Christianish. It doesn't work like that. There's no benefit to simply attending church once in a while. No benefit to picking up your Bible here and there and taking a look at what it says. No benefit to just quietly, quietly, just, just on a whim doing the Christian thing whenever it's convenient for you. Catching the occasional online service. You know, it's, it, it's very similar to, to going to the gym. There's no benefit to owning a gym membership if you're not going to go. Like, if you're only going to go once a year, you're going to waste your money. Everybody in here would agree with that. There, 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 there's no benefit for you to buy yourself a commuter bike so you can get healthy and make good choices and get to work and burn a little extra calories. There's no benefit for you 
if you're going to just drive your car anyways. Like owning the commuter bike isn't going to make you fit. you got to actually ride the commuter bike. Going to McDonald's. Like, it is no benefit for you to order the Diet Coke and still get a supersized Big Mac meal. The Big Mac cancels out the Diet Coke. Like, like, like there's, 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 there's no benefit there. If you want to be physically healthy, you need to be mindful of your lifestyle choices. We know this. But the same applies to your, your Christian faith. If you want to be spiritually healthy... You need to be mindful of your lifestyle choices as well. And this is what he's getting at. He's like, I just wrote you a banger of a letter. And all this stuff I'm writing you is really good. But if you don't apply it, you're wasting your time. It's not actually going to help you. So you need to actually put on the full armor of God. Now in Pentecostal circles... We often think the full armor of God, we use this portion of scripture for our prayer meetings and our prayer meetings only. We're like, okay, we're going to go to prayer. So at intercessory prayer tonight, we're going to make sure we put on the full armor of God. We put on our belt, put on our breastplate, put on our helmet, grab our sword, grab our shield, and we're going to make war with the enemy. And it's as if we have this idea that we only put on the armor of God when it's prayer time. But what Paul's saying is like, you need to put on the full armor of God always. You need to put it on and you need to leave it on. So that way when the day of evil comes, and it will, you're ready for it. I love how it says put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. It means, it's speaking to this idea, you'll be able to overcome You'll be able to, to process, navigate, and get through whatever that situation is. And I love this idea of making a, 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 an intentional effort to stand your ground. Because if you can put on all the armor you want, but if you're going to lie down on the ground, you can just get stepped on by the enemy and you lose. You can put on all the armor you want. If you're just going to sit there, no one's waving a sword and doing good stuff, cool stuff by sitting on their tough. Like you, you need to get up and stand and take your ground. In other words, you need to take ownership. Ownership. You need to take responsibility for your own walk. Because I can't save you. You're not a Christian because your girlfriend is. You're not a Christian because your boyfriend is. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't just pass from person to person. Oh, you're super spiritual? I'll hang out with you. Now I'm super spiritual. It doesn't work like that. You need to take ownership and responsibility for your own life. It's a personal relationship with God, meaning God wants to have a relationship with you. You. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who put the stars in the sky. He, he pulled up the mountains and he poured out the waters and he knit you together in your mother's womb so he can have a relationship with you. Not with the person sitting beside you, but with you. You need to hear that today. This putting on the armor only works if you put your own armor on. Some of you, you've been walking the Christian walk and your loved one, your friend, your boyfriend, people close to you aren't Christians. And so you've been taking responsibility, putting undue, unnecessary pressure on yourself, thinking to yourself, I need to put extra armor on my arm so that way I can protect all these people. It doesn't work like that. You can't wear two people's armor. You need to actually put your armor on for yourself. 
And that's how Christianity works. I like how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Be ready. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's saying, be alert, man. Be watchful. Be engaged. Be, be, pay attention. Your, your, your Christian faith matters. It actually makes a difference. Because like it or not, whether you believe it or not, we live in a spiritual world. And you have an enemy who's looking to destroy you, whether you want to acknowledge him or not. So pay attention. So what do we do with this? As Christians, I've, I've, I've always particularly, I've always liked the phrase, we need to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. I've kind of taken that mantra with everything I do. So as it comes to living out our faith, well, we hope for the best. God is real, God is good, but we prepare for the worst too because bad things happen sometimes. And this is how we do that. In Ephesians chapter 6, 14, he begins to list what the armor of God looks like. He says, list the first one. He says, listen, you need to stand firm then and put on the belt of truth and buckle it around your waist. How do we overcome evil in this world? Well, we, 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 we wake up, we be alert, and we put on the belt of truth. Because as Christians, we need to intentionally make an effort to walk in truth. Because the devil wants nothing more than to distract you and to have you believe that the things that you thought were true aren't. There's a war for your soul. And the devil's oldest tactic isn't to feed you a lie, but to actually get you to question truth. We see it in Genesis chapter three. We have, we have, we have Adam and Eve, they're there in the garden doing their thing. Then all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, A serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that, though? Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? He didn't need to lie to her. He didn't need to accuse her. He didn't need to make fun of her. He didn't need to abuse her. He didn't do any of that. All he did is make her question truth. Did God really say that? Now I need you to be careful, friends. As, 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 as a pastor, I need you to be aware. This is a real danger in the church today. A real danger. Especially post-COVID. Because what happened during COVID, we all stopped coming to church. And we all started, we, we had to try and find and feed ourselves. And so we all went online and filled our minds with some crazy stuff. Did God really say that? I just read six articles that says he didn't. Then I read six more articles that said he did. Then I read six more articles that said he maybe didn't. And, and, and we're confused. We don't know where to stand. I'm not saying don't ask questions. All I'm saying is don't accept cheap answers. Do your research. As a quick aside, I'll say this. I actually, as a pastor, 
I have no problem with Christians who are deconstructing their faith. Raise your hand if you know somebody, maybe it's you, you don't have to admit it, but maybe it's you or somebody you know, maybe you know somebody, raise your hand if you know somebody who's currently deconstructing their faith. Anybody in this room? You heard that term? We have people all over the place. I have no problem with Christians who are deconstructing their faith. Some religious thoughts, some ideologies, they need to die. I get it. But I need you to be careful. Because there's a fine line between deconstruction and destruction. I like to think of deconstruction as camping. You see, camping is fun for a while, and it serves a purpose. But unless you've been trained to live in the wild, eventually you're going to run out of food. And eventually you need to pack your stuff up and go home. Because if you don't, you're going to get hungry. And when you're hungry and you're confused and you don't know what to eat, you will desperately start eating anything. And all of a sudden things that you would never normally eat, all of a sudden these things look really appealing to you. And inadvertently, we start foraging. And without knowing how to discern what is right and what is wrong, we end up eating stuff. Some of that stuff might help you, but some of that stuff might kill you. And so be very careful. Spend some time there. Go camping there, but don't live there. You need to reconstruct somehow. Number two. So he talks about putting on the, the, the belt of truth, but the second one he speaks to is this idea of you need to place, put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do we overcome evil? Well, we, we, we put on this breastplate of righteousness. We, we, we be alert. Ephesians is an interesting book. It talks about righteousness quite a bit. This whole idea of righteousness means to be in right standing with God. And what the devil loves to do, like, like one of his greatest tactics is just to convince you, like, bro, guess what? You're not right with God at all. You are not righteous because look what you did. And he loves nothing more than to put a wedge in your relationship with God. But there's a funny thing about righteousness that we need to understand. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it describes righteousness. And this is what it says. It says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. It doesn't say that righteousness is earned. Jesus is the one who earned your righteousness. And Jesus is the one who makes people righteous. We don't, we don't like earn righteousness by being super Christians. We become righteous because of what Jesus did. And so when the enemy starts tempting you and accusing you and telling you, no, 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 man, you, like, like, there's a problem between you and God. You, you're, you are distant from him. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. He, you. You can't be righteous. Look what you did. Look at your lifestyle. Well, the Bible tells us is that righteousness actually comes through Christ. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. And so to be righteous means to come to Christ and accept it from him. So ignore the enemy. You're doing better than you think you are, I can tell you that. Verse 15. Then he says, so you put on the breastplate of righteousness, the next thing he talks about is the shoes. He says, with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. How do we overcome evil in this world? We need to put our shoes on. 
We need to put on our boots. Walk in readiness, the shoes of readiness, the boots of readiness, because the devil wants to destroy what is good. That's his goal, always. Now, admittedly, the shoes are definitely one of the wussiest part of the armor. <laughs> you almost overlook it. Until you've stepped on a barnacle and you think to yourself, shoes are actually awesome. <laughs> but shoes are really valuable. If you need to walk for any great deal of distance, if you need to walk over any sort of hard terrain, your boots are extraordinarily important. Your shoes and your footwear will make the journey all the different. When you put on your boots, it makes you nimble. Putting your boots on makes you ready. Ready to jump in at a moment's notice to proclaim the gospel of peace. Because that's what we are as, as Christians. We're peacemakers. We're reconcilers. We're rescuers. You've been rescued, not just for rescue's sake, but Jesus rescued you so that you can be a rescuer. That's how it works. And so what he's saying here is like, listen, it's one thing to, to know truth. It's one thing to be right with God, but you also need to be ready. You need to understand that you need to engage the world. You need to understand that you are my rescue plan for humanity. I've got a plan for you and specifically you. There's people in your world, in your life, in your context who need to come to know me. And the only way they'll do it is through you. So be ready. Put on them shoes. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Which can cause or which can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. See, what I like about this is the shield of faith doesn't only block fiery arrows, it extinguishes them. In other words, this, this, your faith matters. Because what your faith does is it doesn't just protects you, to protect you from the evil or bad thoughts, but your faith, what it does, it actually reframes those accusations to truth. So all of a sudden you start thinking to yourself, man, I suck. I'm such a sinner. And what does faith tell us? It says, yep, you are. But Jesus set you free. Oh man, I'm so lame. Like I, I, I feel like I'm just so weak all the time. I wish I was stronger, but I feel so weak. Yeah, don't worry. Because you know what your faith tells you? That Jesus specializes in the weak. In fact, Jesus makes you strong. Oh, man, no, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not worthy of a relationship with God. Like, I'm brutal. I like, barely know how to read the Bible. I just started. I don't know how to do this. Yeah, that's okay, though, because you know what faith tells you? That Jesus loves you anyways. You're on a journey. You're, 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 you're moving forward. So, so don't beat yourself up, and don't let the enemy beat yourself up. Verse 17 then take the helmet of salvation. How do we overcome evil? We, we, we put on this helmet of salvation. We, 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 we walk in our salvation. We, we let it impact our minds. One of the tactics of the evil one, you know what he does? He simply wants to try and convince you to doubt your relationship with God. Helmets change everything. I got, I got a seven-year-old who's just mastered, mastered 
the two-wheeler bicycle. And I'm not joking. He says to me the other day, Dad, I can ride with no hands. Dad, I can go off jumps. Dad, watch me jump over our neighbor's garden. Didn't do it, ran over all their flowers, but it was pretty awesome. But what I've noticed about him is when he got his helmet on, everything changes. When he puts on his helmet, he, he, he begins to think he's invincible. I have to constantly remind him, listen, if you wear a helmet, it's not going to stop you from getting hurt if you get hit by a car. You still got to look both ways. He's like, I got my helmet on, Dad. Nothing's going to hurt me. Well, you can still get road rash, man. You got to be careful. But the helmet of salvation is critical because what it does is it protects our minds. You know, the verse in the Bible says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but, but let, let, let God renew your mind. Remembering not just who you are, but whose you are makes a world of difference when it comes to overcoming the evil one. The helmet of salvation is critical. And then, then he finishes off by saying, you have to take the helmet of salvation, but then you also need to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what the enemy loves to do is he loves to distort Scripture and confuse you. And I've always found this particular part fascinating because a sword's interesting. Because if I just give you a sword and you have no idea how to use a sword, it's not really all that beneficial. Because owning a sword and knowing how to use it are two different things. But the reality is, the Bible works the same way. Owning a Bible and knowing how to actually read and apply the Bible are two different things. Some of you, you, you you've, you've just settled. You said, you know what, at least I own a Bible. And I got a Bible, I own a Bible, so that's good. It's super dusty, you never read it, you couldn't even tell me what translation it was. But, but, but you own one. Friend, just owning one, this isn't like a lucky charm. This, 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 this book is only valuable if you let the words get into your life. And so, so just, just, just owning a Bible is one thing, but you need to actually, actually learn how to use it. And I have a picture of the sword analogy. If you don't know how to use a sword and, and, and a battle comes and some guy comes at you with a big giant sword and I just throw you a sword and you come running at him. Ah! You have no idea what you're doing. You just kind of close your eyes and start swinging like crazy. You're bound to like chop your own leg off or something like that or, or hurt one of your loved ones. The odds of you actually doing some damage with that thing are very, very minimal. It gives you this illusion of, of safety. But unless you know how to actually wield it, this thing's not all that beneficial. This tool can actually harm you more than it can help you. And the same is true with the Bible, though. And this is why we know of Christians, or we know of people, and we look at, we look at church history, and we're thinking, how could you guys do that? Because, because we, 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 sometimes we pick and choose and sometimes we blindly just say, well, this is, this is what the Bible says, and so now I'm going to do it. And we don't actually think about the context. We don't actually think about what it means. We don't actually think about how this impacts people. And, and we, we have a Bible, and we're blindly swinging verses out there, not realizing that we're actually hurting those who are close to us. And that is not how this book is meant to be used. This book, as I said earlier... It's a window into the heart of God. A window into how God functions and how God moves and, 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 and works. 
if you want to know how to overcome evil in this world, stop looking to the wisdom of man and let the Bible inform your worldview. It'll change. It'll change things. Let me close with this. I, I, I know this is a lot of comment, content for one sermon, but, but, but it, it, it's in the Bible and we need to talk about it. It's in Ephesians and we need to wrap it up. I love you too much as, your, as, a, as a pastor here in this church for us to only preach the, the feel-good kind of sermons. We, we, need, we, need to, we need to hear the word and let it, let it fuel us, prepare us, empower us, help us to, to actually live out life. And I can summarize everything with this one verse tonight found in the book of James. Friends, don't, don't, don't overcomplicate this. James has such a beautiful way of, of getting to getting to a summary of what I just said that will impact your life. You see, James was the half-brother of Jesus, right? I, I, I kind of say this all the time whenever I talk about James. Because it's so important that we remember that. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so in my opinion, that makes James's view of God more trustworthy. <laughs> because James knew Jesus before Jesus was Jesus. Like before the Jesus we know. He knew the Jesus uh, before Jesus did miracles. He knew Jesus and what he was like when nobody else was around. And this is, this is really important. As a side note for you to understand about James and Jesus, like, like their dad, Jesus' dad isn't actually Joseph. Like technically Joseph wasn't Jesus' birth dad, which meant that Jesus grew up in a blended family. And that's really important for us to gather here. Because maybe you find yourself growing up in a blended family and, and did you know that Jesus came from a blended family too? Bet you didn't. But here's this James. He saw how Jesus reacted when nobody was watching. He saw how Jesus treated him, how Jesus treated the community, how Jesus treated the lost. He saw all that. And so in James chapter four, verse seven, he says these words. He says, submit yourselves then to God. And I put in brackets, my brother. Submit yourselves then to, to, to Jesus. Because I've seen how he treats the least of these. I saw how he treated me. And resist the devil and he will flee from you. But come near to God, my brother. And he will come near to you. The devil is sneaky. The devil is dangerous. The devil is like evil is everywhere. But my brother, what he's saying, but my brother, he is good. He's good. Would you stand to your feet with me? We'll close and we'll step into a time of worship. I'd love to pray for you first. If you would just close your eyes for a moment and forget the person beside you. Part of finding freedom is, is resisting the enemy. And so right now, if maybe, there's, maybe there's stuff that you've gotten into that you know you shouldn't. Maybe there's habits that you've maybe picked up along the way that, that you regret. In this moment, you can give that to God.
The Bible says, resist the enemy and he'll flee. But James also said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So it's one thing just to stop doing bad stuff. It's another thing to actually come near to God. And so Lord, we invite you now into our world. We invite you now into our hearts. Father, we draw near to you. Help us to apply our Christian faith in, in, in the rough times, and the hard times. Help us to apply our Christian faith at home, at school, at work. Help us to apply our Christian faith. Help us to draw near to you in our relationships. Because Jesus, we need you. So Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this series. And we thank you, Lord, that you're real. God, we need you and we love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen.